Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as our kids head back with Miss Rhonda, um, we are going to turn to Hosea chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look at all 19 verses this morning. So Hosea chapter 4, uh, if you're not familiar with that, that's going to be in the Old Testament. So if you turn uh, roughly halfway uh, through your Bible, you, you should wind up Psalms, Proverbs, somewhere there, and then hang a right. And uh, Hosea is the, the, the first of what we call the minor prophets after, uh, after the, the major prophets and, and right after the book of Daniel. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had our intro into Hosea, where we read all of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and all of chapter 3. And in that, we saw that Hosea was really called to a unique ministry uh, among the prophets. In fact, he was called to live out his ministry in a way no other prophet was. If you're familiar with the prophets at all, Isaiah and Jeremiah were called to do some, some kind of weird stuff. Um, Jonah's life really reflected his ministry and that he tried to run from God and then went and preached to a people running from God. And, uh, but, but Hosea is really given this ministry um, from the beginning where God says, hey, Hosea, I want you to take to yourself a wife of promiscuity or some translations say a wife of harlotry. In other words, I, the way I'm going to work through you, Hosea, the way I'm going to speak through you is I want you to go and marry a woman and I'm telling you from the beginning, she is not going to be faithful to you. All right? Ready, set, go? Go. Godspeed, God, God Hosea. Uh, and, and so Hosea does. And, and through his heartache, uh, through his life, God speaks to his people. What we saw a couple weeks ago were that uh, God even uses Hosea's children to, to preach his message. So the first uh, was a son named Jezreel, which means God sows. And, and God basically tells uses that child's name to say, I'm about to sow destruction among my people unless they repent. Uh, we're told in chapter 1 that, that Jezreel was Hosea's son. It says, Gomer bore him a son. The second is a daughter named Lo-Ruhamah, which means no compassion or not loved. And we, we think that one maybe uh, was not Hosea's child. It doesn't say that Gomer bore him a child. So there's some question there. The last one, uh, just in the name alone, this, this son named Lo-Ami, which means not my people or not my son, kind of gives it away right there, that this child was not his. And then God, uh, in chapter 2, after, after we learn about Hosea and, and his family, chapter 2 is really God saying, uh, here's, here's what I'm trying to say through you, Hosea. My people have turned away from me. They have sinned grievously against Almighty God, and yet I'm not done with them. So in chapter 3, God says to Hosea, I want you to go and buy back your wife. Now, we're not ever told that they divorced. We're told that Hosea or Gomer left Hosea and went and found other lovers, and then Hosea pursues her and actually buys her back out of the slavery that she's sold herself to. And he says, from now on, you're coming back and, and you will be my wife and I will be your husband. And then God says, this is what I'm doing with my people, Israel. Even though they've turned away from me, I'm not giving up on them. 
Chapter 3 ends really kind of the, the biographical part of this book. And then in chapters 4 through 14, we're going to look at over the next five weeks or so. We're not going to cover every single verse, every single chapter. We are going to look at some of the major themes. And this morning in chapter 4, what we're going to see is the seriousness of sin not in the world, although we're going to talk about that some, but not primarily in the world. Because remember, this, this prophecy, Hosea is speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to the children of God about how they've turned away from God. And so we're going, to, we're going to talk, obviously, about some sin in the world. And, and, and at the end, there will be a call to repent for the first time. But, but primarily this morning, we're talking about sin in the lives of God's people. And so right from the, from the start, I'm going to tell you our, our invitation this morning is going to be real simple. And that is that we who claim to be followers of Christ will be called to repentance. Because we talk a lot about revival, and, and I think oftentimes when we talk about revival breaking out, we mean we want them to get saved and get into churches when I think uh, oftentimes what, what happens that has sparked revival is that God's people get right with God. And before that happens, we have to be aware of our sin. Um, and so... This morning, that's where we turn Hosea chapter 4. These verses are not on the screen, so I'm going to invite you just to stand. Turn, turn there in, in your, uh, your copy of Scripture. Let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. For this reason, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the wild animals and the birds of the sky. Even the fish of the sea disappear. But let no one argue, or let no one dispute, let no one argue, for my case is against you, priests. You will stumble by day, the prophet will also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I will reject you from serving as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their honor into disgrace. They feed on the sin of my people. They have an appetite for their iniquity. The same judgment will happen to both people and priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not be satisfied. They will be promiscuous but not multiply. For they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. Promiscuity, wine, and new wine take away one's understanding. My people consult their wooden idols and their divining rods inform them. For a spirit of promiscuity leads them astray. They act promiscuously in disobedience to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and they burn offerings on the hills and under the oaks, poplars, and terebinths because their shade is pleasant. And so your daughters act promiscuously and your daughters-in-law commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they act promiscuously or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery for the men themselves go off with prostitutes and make sacrifices with cult prostitutes. People without discernment are doomed. Israel, if you act promiscuously, don't let Judah become guilty. Do not go to Gilgal or make a pilgrimage to Beth-Avon. 
and do not swear an oath as the Lord lives. For Israel is as obstinate as a stubborn cow. Can the Lord now shepherd them like a lamb in an open meadow? Ephraim is attached to idols. Leave him alone. When their drinking is over, they turn to promiscuity. Israel's leaders fervently love disgrace. A wind with its wings will carry them off, and they will be ashamed of their sacrifices. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We know this is a hard word to us. And so I pray this morning as your word is proclaimed, you would reveal sin in our lives. And you would bring that to our attention. And this morning, you would call God's people to repent of sin in our lives. That just as the Apostle Paul said, we would put sin to death in our lives. And we thank you so much this morning that as we are confronted with the reality of sin in our lives, that we'd also be confronted with the reality of the enormous grace that you've shown to us in Christ Jesus. Bless the proclamation of your word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, I know this is not a real fun chapter here, right? There, there's, not, there's not a whole lot of feel-goodness that, that's happening here. And what, what we have really is the scene of a courtroom where God is delivering the case against his people. And so this passage is aimed really primarily at two groups. So, so the, first of all, you have the people of Israel in general. And, and God through Hosea is calling out the sin of the people. But then you also have it aimed uh, specifically at the priests, those who were supposed to be leading their people, those who were supposed to be instructing the people about the word of God. Now, keep in mind, in the Old Testament, not everyone would have a copy of the Bible like we do today. And certainly they wouldn't just be able to pull it up on, on any device that they had in their back pocket. The, the word of God would have been written on scrolls and they would have been rare. And so people would go to the temple and hear the priests read the word of the, the, word of the Lord and then proclaim to them what, what, what it meant. But they didn't have access to it themselves. And, and what we're going to see this morning is God's looking at the priests and saying... Um, my, my people are going astray, and, and one reason they're going astray is because you've not taught them any better. And so we're going to have this, this anger that's directed at the people in general, but then at the priests specifically. We're going to look at four things this morning that sin brings to the life of a believer. All right, so, so the first thing that we see is that uh, when sin is in the life of a believer, sin brings fallout. Uh, there, there's always fallout with sin. We see this in verses 1 through 3. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Now, when, when you see the word knowledge in Scripture, particularly in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's not talking just about a head knowledge, a knowledge about God. It's talking about an intimate knowing of God. So, so there's a difference, right, between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Uh, here's, a, here, here's an uh, illustration I've used before. Um, I met George W. Bush once when he was governor of Texas. I happened to be at the Capitol. My dad and I were walking up the Capitol steps as he was walking out. Um, so so I, I, had, I had a passing interaction with him. 
uh, where basically we shook hands and it lasted for about 20 seconds, and that was it. Now, I've read some stuff on George W. Bush, so I know some, some things about him. It would be a gross overstatement for me to say I know him. And yet I wonder how many people who claim to be followers of Christ have, have had that kind of passing interaction with God. Maybe you grew up in church, maybe you walked an aisle, maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe you've even been baptized. But your relationship with God hasn't grown past that point. Maybe you know some stuff about him, but you don't know him. What, what God's saying here is, is, my people have no knowledge of me. Not just they don't know about me, they don't know me. They don't know me. And see, one of the things that, that happens in the, lives of, in the lives of even folks who would claim to be believers is that when, when people don't know God, sin will creep in. We'll be easily led astray to other things. If we don't know, certainly know about God, have knowledge about who he is, but if we don't know him personally, if we don't have that ongoing fellowship. See, here's what's interesting is we looked at, I believe we talked about this some in 1 John. In, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus is arrested and crucified, um, he, he prays what's been called the high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, in verse 3, John 17, he says this. He says, uh, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. See, God doesn't want us to just know about him, just have some, some passing interactions throughout our life. He wants us to know him. In fact, that's what Jesus said eternal life really is, is this knowing of God. Because that day when we pass from this life into the next, and we see him face to face in all his glory, we're going to know him completely. That's the ultimate promise of heaven. It's not that you have a mansion over the hilltop. It's not that, that, that you're going to get to walk on streets of gold. It's that you're going to know God completely without any barrier of sin to get in the way. So part of this fallout is that, that we don't have this knowledge of who God is. But, but the, the further fallout is that you never sin in a vacuum. Our culture's bought into this lie that, well, I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And there will be no consequences for anyone else based on my own choices. So I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. And you just got to deal with it. Because I'm not hurting anybody but me. And the Bible here would absolutely say that's false. And experience would say that is absolutely false. You don't sin in a vacuum. Our sin always has consequences for ourselves, but for those around us as well. We'll talk more about this here in, in, in just a second. So, so what we see here is that the, their sin, their turning away from God in verse 2 has led to cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. And it says they're rampant. And then it says one act of bloodshed follows another. Well, I'm just living my life the way I want. How are you doing that? Well, I'm stealing and I'm murdering. Not hurting anybody else. One act of bloodshed follows another. No, it's spilling out into others. In fact, this reminds me of a description that, that God had for uh, humanity in general back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Right before the flood, where God's telling Noah what he's about to do. And this is how God describes 
the, the world. He says, the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth. And look here, that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Now, now for just a second, consider the context, because Genesis 6 is talking about the world. Hosea is addressing the people of God. And there's not a difference in the way they're behaving. But the effects, the, the fallout of people's sin doesn't stop with them. In fact, verse 3 tells us it's going to extend even to creation. For this reason the land mourns and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the wild animals and the birds of the sky. Even the fish of the sea disappear. Sin always, always has consequences. See, God's plan for his people was that they would be a family. That they would be serving God in, in their home, this promised land. That they would have God as their king and they would live together as brothers and sisters under his rule. But instead, they turned away from God. And when they turned away from God, the, this, this reality fractured. And lying, murder, stealing, and adultery broke out among those who claimed, those who were the people of God. Sin always brings fallout. But secondly, it doesn't stop there. Sin brings fault. Verses 4 through 9, the, the, the focus shifts from the people in general. You're, you're lying, you're cursing, you're stealing, you're murdering, you're committing adultery. And it shifts from, then, from, from, from them to the priests, to those who are supposed to be leading the people away from lying, stealing, cursing, cheating, adultery, murder. And they were supposed to be showing the people what it looks like to know God and to follow God as their king, as their Lord. And yet, verse 4 says, But let no one dispute, let no one argue, for my case is against you priests. You will stumble by day, the prophet will also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. Verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Look here, because you have rejected knowledge. So God's speaking to the priest. He's saying, do you know why my people are, don't have knowledge? It's because you don't have knowledge. You can't lead the people to know me because you don't know me. Verse 7 says, the more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their honor into disgrace. They feed on the sin of my people. They have an appetite for their iniquity. Man, what on earth is, is, is going on here? See, apparently, somehow, the priests thought they were above the judgment of God. And the judgment, the, the, the priests thought that they were in this special class where, where they were exempt from the stuff that other people were supposed to do. And look at verse 9. The same judgment will happen to both people and priests. You, you, you think you... Priests are, are better off? No, you're, you're the ones who are supposed to be leading the people to know me. And you don't know me. 
So here's what the Bible says about those called to lead. So, so I understand that to an extent now, uh, my, my fingers are pointing back at me, right? So, so here, so understand, I'm not off the hook on this one either, okay? And here's what, here's what the Bible says about those called to lead in, in the New Testament, Matthew 18, 6. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of his day. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned in the depths of the sea. Uh, later in James, James 3, 1, uh, he writes that not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Matthew 15, 14, Jesus actually calls the Pharisees blind guides. You remember that? He says, if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. So the picture in my mind is like you show up at the Grand Canyon for your tour, and, and your tour guide's blind. He's got a walking stick. All right, let's go. You serious? Yeah, you ever been here before? Nah, but it's okay. I know my way around. We'll, we'll be fine. The priests, the people who were supposed to know God and supposed to lead the other, the, the, the people in general to know God, couldn't do their job because they didn't know him. Then we see the, the wickedness into, into how they were living as well. Verse 7 says, the more they multiplied, the, the more the priests multiplied, the, the more they sinned against me. And then verse 8 is really interesting because it says they feed on the sins of my people. Now, in, uh, in Leviticus 6, God, as God is setting up this, this priesthood for the children of Israel, he tells Aaron, the, the, the first priest and his, and his offspring, that, that they're allowed to uh, eat the sin offering. So the things that people would bring to the temple as their sin offering, that, that becomes the provision for the priests. And what Hosea says is happening here in verse 8. He's saying they feed on the sin of my people. They have an appetite for iniquity. So the priests are almost hoping that the people keep on sinning and keep on sinning in abundance because that's how they get fed. So they've almost entered this mindset of, you know, you know the, the people sure are bad, but it's kind of helping us out. The worse the people are, the more they have to come and bring their sin offerings and, and the better we live around here, the better we eat around here. So let's just let them keep on sinning. In Romans, there's a, there's a condemnation because in, in Romans 1, it says um, not only do they take part in these things, the, the, the wickedness of humanity, but it says they approved of those who are living in such a way. How wretched. This should be a stark reminder of the truth of Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the, of the glory of God. Whether priest or peasant, none of us escape sin. You are guilty and I am guilty. But it doesn't stop there. So we've seen that sin brings fallout. Nobody sins in a vacuum. Your sin affects other people. We've seen that, that it brings fault. We, we, there's, there's blame that comes when, when sin is present in our lives. But it also brings futility. Look with me at verses 10 through 14. They will eat but not be satisfied. They will be promiscuous 
but not multiply. So, so where, are the, where are the places that we've, we've heard so far throughout this chapter that people are finding their identity? Well, a couple of them are in food and, and in sex. And God says, neither one of those things are going to work. They'll eat and not be satisfied. They'll be promiscuous but not multiply. For they have abandoned their devotion to the Lord. Promiscuity, wine, and new wine take away one's understanding. And look, look at where they turn. So, so he's like calling his people out, right? You're turning to things you don't, shouldn't be turning to, and it's not going to work. So, so what do the people do? Well, they wake up and they repent, right? Look at 12. My people consult their wooden idols, and their divining rods inform them. For a spirit of promiscuity leads them astray. They act promiscuously in obedience to their God, in disobedience to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops. They burn offerings on the hills and under oaks, poplars, and terebinths because their shade is pleasant. And so your daughters act promiscuously and your daughters-in-law commit adultery. Things are going wrong in their lives. Instead of repenting and, and turning back to the Lord, they turn to anything and everything else. It's like you have people coming in and saying, well, you know, I, I think... Uh, part of your problem is, is that you're not returning to the Lord. So maybe try repentance. No, that can't be the problem. We're the people of God. He's not going, he would not dare punish his people. So that can't be the issue. All right, then what are you going to do? I'll go consult this wooden idol over here. It'll, give me, it'll tell me what to do. Or, for us, I've never met anybody who's, who's worshiping a wooden idol in their, in, in their house. So, man, you know, maybe, I, you know, I think, think a lot of times your, your, your problem's spiritual. Maybe, maybe try repenting. No, the, the, the answer is I, I just got to put in more time at work. That'll be fine. Just got to get that next raise and, and all my problems will go away. Really? Because your last one didn't. And sin leads us to futility. The way Paul puts this in Romans, he says their foolish hearts were darkened. See, one of the dangers of idolatry and sin is that we get trapped in this cycle of futility where we keep putting our faith in things that were never meant to hold our faith. So Jeremiah 2, again, speaking to a people that were prone to sin, prone to wandering... This is what he says. But where are your gods you made for yourself? Let them rise up and save you in your time of disaster if they can. For your gods are as numerous as your cities, Judah. Now, keep in mind, Hosea is uh, speaking to the northern kingdom, still called Israel. Jeremiah is speaking to the southern kingdom called Judah. And what do we see? They're, they're having the same issues. People don't want anything to do with God until things fall apart in their lives. And, and Jeremiah is saying, well, you put your faith and trust in these other things. Let, let them rise up and defend you. And they can't. Why? Because they don't have any real existence. Now look at verse 14. This is interesting. He, he kind of shifts here and he says, I will not punish your daughters when they act promiscuously or your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go off with prostitutes and make sacrifices with cult prostitutes. People without discernment 
are doomed. Now, now is God saying here that he's letting sinners off the hook? No. What he's saying is that, in this case, the daughters don't know any better because they've not been taught well by their fathers. In one sense, the people don't know any better because the priests haven't taught them. And so what he's saying is, as I'm going to hold the parents, I'm going to hold the fathers responsible for teaching their children what it looks like to live promiscuously. You've taught your children how to sin. But when God's judgment came, in this case it's the Assyrian Empire coming in and taking over, all would suffer because of their sin. Because people without discernment are doomed. But the last thing that we see here, the last warning that we have for us is that sin brings failure. We see this in verses 15 through 19. I, really, I want to really focus on verse 19 here as we get close to wrapping up. It says, a wind with its wings will carry them off, and they will be ashamed of their sacrifices. See, God is telling Israel that ultimately they're going to be carried away like a whirlwind. From a human standpoint, this happens when the Assyrian Empire comes in and takes over, and, and the northern kingdom of Israel essentially is no more. And then God's going to later turn around and tell them in, in Hosea 5.12, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, he says, I am like rot to Ephraim and like decay to the house of Judah. And a couple of verses later, chapter 5, verse 14, I'm like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. Yes, I will tear them to pieces and depart. I will carry them off and no one can rescue them. It says to, to my people... I'm like rot. They, they, they can't stand me. They want to get rid of me. And, and I'm like a young lion that's waiting to tear them apart. See, what we see here, what we're reminded of in this passage is that God is righteous. He can't tolerate sin. His perfect, holy character cannot stand it. I, I like this quote from Adrian Rogers. I don't think he originated this, but it's, it's who I've heard say it the most said, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. It will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. So what do I mean when I say that sin brings failure? See, if we allow sin, even as followers of Christ, hear this. If we allow sin to take root in our lives and let it go unchecked, don't fight it, don't repent of it, don't seek to put it to death when we recognize it in our lives. If we let sin run rampant in our lives, it will lead to failure in your marriage and family. Maybe failure in your career. We don't have to look very long, either in the church or in our culture at large, and see countless lives that have been wrecked because they refuse to put sin to death. 
And for the person who's not in Christ, sin ultimately, if not repented of, will not only lead to failure in your life, it'll lead to death. That's what Romans 6.23 says, right? For the wages of sin is death. So the Bible warns us. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now the problem, believer, is when we treat sin like a house cat and not like a roaring lion. Oh, it's just a little. It's, it's not that bad. I'll let, it, I'll, let it, I'll let it sleep on my couch. It's not a cute kitten. It's a roaring lion. And Satan's looking for anyone he can devour. Be on guard. That's what Peter says. Be sober-minded. Be alert. In today's vernacular, kids would say, stay woke. Because he's out there. He's active. Now there is good news. Because we don't, we don't approach this the same way the, the folks in the Old Testament did. We have the rest of the story. And we see how Christ came along. And we see through the lens of the New Testament that yes, sin is real. Yes, sin is destructive. But oh, friend, don't let it end there. Understand the good news. And that is that Christ offers forgiveness. Romans 6.23, we read the first part of it a while ago. For the wages of sin is death, but it doesn't stop there because it goes on and says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 5.8, maybe the, the best gospel in a sentence explanation that there is, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I love that because it's clear that, that God didn't tell us, you know, um, I, I can't stand sin. Sin can't be in my presence. So, so you go get yourself cleaned up and then come back and we'll talk. As I've said before, that would be kind of like going to the emergency room and then saying, man, you know, we, we really don't treat sick people here. So, so tell you what, you go home and get well and then you come back and then we'll, we, can, we can help you out once you're, once you're well. But uh, we, we, don't, we don't deal with, with your kind here. No. The Bible says we weren't even looking for God and he came for us. So the call today is real simple. Real simple. It's a call to repentance. The question is simply, have you turned away from sin? Have you trusted in Christ? Maybe, maybe somebody's here and they still have questions about this whole idea of following Jesus. So maybe today you feel the call on your life to lay your life down and follow him, to turn from sin and to trust in Christ for the very first time. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you in just a moment and show you how you can receive this free gift of salvation that, that God's made available to you. Now, for, for most of us in the room uh, who, who would claim to be believers, the, the call this morning is actually the same. It's the exact same. It's a call to repentance. What are those sins in your life you're holding on to that you refuse to give up? 
What, what are those, those sins, those pet sins that you've let come into your house and you're feeding it? Letting it sleep on your couch. Treating it like a house cat rather than a roaring lion that wants to destroy everything you are in love. Have you placed your affections and your attention on someone or something other than Christ? As we were talking about sin this morning, maybe, maybe the Lord is bringing something up to your heart and your mind and you know that you need to spend some time this morning in prayer and repentance, asking Him to root that thing out, put sin to death in your life. If, if that's you, I'd love to pray with you this morning or the, the altar's open for you just to come and fall on your face before the Lord and, and, and surrender. Ask Him to root that thing out. Thank Him for the free gift of salvation that is already yours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that it's a hard passage for us. One that I know I need because I have a tendency to allow things in my life to distract me from you. So Father, I pray this morning that that a revival would start in this room as the people of God get right with you. As we repent of turning to other things and trusting in other things that don't have the power to save. That we wouldn't find our identity or our security in jobs or in titles, but in you and you alone. Thank you so much for the gift of salvation that's available to us through Christ Jesus. For those who are believers, I pray that, that as we repent of sin this morning, that there's a calm assurance that we are safe and secure in your arms through Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. For those in the rooms who have not, not yet laid their life down and trusted in Christ, that today would be the day. Today would be the day they say, I'm no longer following myself, I'm following Christ. Move in our hearts and our lives. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.